Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. This is the CHGO Cubs podcast. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. We are coming to you on Friday, January 26th. Brendan, welcome to the Friday edition of the CHGO Cubs podcast. We are not live. Sorry to our good friend Barb in the live YouTube chat. If you're joining us live on YouTube, as always, we're reading the comments and questions. If you're joining us on your podcast feeds, Later, hello, welcome. January 26th, Brendan, we are uh, just a few days from the calendar flipping to February, which means pitchers and catchers reporting is getting to be around the corner. Cody Bellinger, not a cub. Matt Chapman, not a cub. More relief help, currently not cubs. Maybe. I know. Maybe. So we'll see. Uh, but the off season running out of time and we're still getting those reports, Brendan, that might be a minute for the Boris, uh, I think big four of clients that Scott Boris is dragging along in this process, but we do have some stuff to talk about regardless, uh, as it relates to the Chicago Cubs want to talk about, uh, the one newish rumor, uh, in the relief market, Also a former Cub coming off the market, David Robertson going to the World Series champion Texas Rangers late on Thursday evening. Uh, So we'll talk a little bit about the relief market as we expect the Cubs to still make some moves there. We will talk about some of the other rumors, the signing decisions, the big decisions, and I think touching a little bit on a, a popular kind of call it concern or, or, you know, talking point as it relates to some of these guys in terms of blocking prospects, just the idea of that, like what do Brendan and I think about that are, would certain Cubs prospects actually be blocked in the way that people mean it? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Cause it is something yeah. I, I, I see get thrown around a lot. And then uh, a little bit of pitch doctor for you. Uh, there sure. was some discussion on social media And, you know, in the baseball community of is the splitter going to be kind of the big pitch in 2024? We've seen the 
pitching paradigms change, of course, throughout the years, uh, pitching up into the zone, low in the zone, high velocity. What's the new kind of like en vogue pitch? And uh, I think it was Mike Petrello from StatCast who, or MLB.com who was talking about perhaps the splitter being the 2024 version of, hey, let's everybody try this. This is where the game's going. So uh, first though, Brendan, I, I do want to welcome you into the show here, uh, by complimenting you on your, your, your new, or your, I don't know if it's a new hoodie, but I don't recall seeing it on the air before. Well, I'm hurt because I wore this hoodie. You ready for this? This is why, this is what I mean when I say that you're sometimes mean or hurtful. I wore this hoodie, the very first baseball game you and I went to, and you have no recollection Oh, whatsoever. okay. Now, now hold on. Come on. Before it's I am, true. am slandered it's true. here. Now it's true. that's, I'm not saying that's not true. What I'm saying, and to add some color to our wonderful audience here, the reason I don't remember what you were wearing, Brendan, uh -huh. is the Cubs got shut out in an NLCS game by Clayton Kershaw in the Dodgers on the evening that you're referring to. So I do apologize for not <laughs> focusing on but, your outs for the evening. But what happened two weeks later? Do you remember, you know, the Cubs winning the world series world series? Correct. Yes. yes. You know, people do forget that they so do still, forget that still a glorious time, but yeah, look yeah. at this thing, man. This is a nice. nice hoodie because it has like some quilty texture to it. So it's my winter jacket. It's freezing outside. I need to put on a jacket and stay warm. Very you know? rude coming from you know the how it streets is. of San Diego. You know how it while is. While the rest of us are freezing. Well, it was a balmy like 40 in Chicago uh, That's not today, bad. So, That's not know. bad at all. Good for you. Not that Good for bad. you. It's 65 here. Great. Freezing. Go do a Padres podcast then, you know, like leave me alone. Uh, but yes, I, I do apologize that I, I don't vividly remember your outfit the night the Cubs lost. I'll, I'll, I'll get over it. So eventually yeah, that is the first time Brendan and I met in person. We had done a podcast, uh, for like a year, a year at yeah. the time and had never met and, uh, met for the first time at a playoff game. And because losing, I think we said two words to each other. So that's right. That's, and that's the way that's, it should that be. That is key though, especially for play, uh, you know, uh, we're starting the show. The Cubs aren't doing anything. So we're, you know, messing around a sure, little bit, but sure. I do think that's crucial when you're deciding who you go to playoff games with, uh, for me in particular, like for, for my season tickets, I have two tickets. So it's really, you're, you're going with one person. It's not a group. Yeah. It's, it's not a group thing. It's gotta be someone who can read the vibe. The, the Cubs are getting shut out in an NLCS game. What I don't want to do is like chitter chatter. You understood appropriately, and I understood for you. Just shut up. We're both it's miserable. We're even, both nervous as all can be. Let's just sit here. It's not even mutual understanding. I didn't care if you understood or didn't. <laughs> I'm not yeah. talking to you. I'm not talking to you. I'm yeah. sitting there doing my thing. I don't care. Yeah, I, I can see that. So, yeah. yeah, when the Cubs do get back in the playoffs, if you're going to go, or even if you're watching at home, I'm I'm – I'm always interested that, you know, some folks can go to a bar or no, have people I'm, over I'm, at their I'm, house, I'm like whatever, whatever floats your boat. But for me personally, like I'd rather be locked in a room, like experience yeah. the, the, basically alone going to Wrigley, of course, is unmatched and being around, uh, you know, the fellow Wrigley faithful. But truthfully, I think I'd rather be like alone in a room where I can like yeah, shut man. everything else out. I, I watched game. game six of the World Series on mute. 
I did not want to hear Joe Buck. I did not yeah. want to hear John uh, uh, Schmuck Schmoltz. I didn't want to hear those guys at all. Wow. You know, I know. You know, I, he's just you know, yeah. Didn't like that that commentary by him in the World Series. But yeah, that's that's how I am. Yeah. So I got issues. There you go. Brendan and I, very good podcast partners, very good nerve wracking playoff game partners as well. Yes. So yeah. I hope you, you, all of you out there, when the Cubs are back in the playoffs, I, I hope you have that person or people, or if you like being amongst everybody, let's live it up. Uh, one day the Cubs will get back in the playoffs, Brendan, but they may have to make actual major league transactions to do so. Uh, so we can transition back to the major league ball club for a minute. Uh, and the, so I think when we got on last week, obviously Josh Hader, off the market, didn't really expect the Cubs to be in that market, but the the connection was out there in some of the rumor mills and things like that. Uh, David Robertson, obviously a former Cub and uh, former Cub and All Star, like Ron Coomer. There you go. He's off the market. Another guy who you know wasn't like strongly necessarily attached to the Cubs, but they were they were thrown in the blurbs of teams that were looking or checking in and stuff like that. And then on Thursday. Uh, I believe this came from Bruce Levine first, and then Bob Nightingale reported it. Um, the Cubs potentially looking at reliever Ryan Stanek, who has been with the Astros. Cody, Luke, and, uh, excuse me, Cody, Ryan, and I uh, spoke on Thursday a little bit about this uh, as they were playing their interview from CubsCon with Julian Merriweather. So it sort of paired well talking about the bullpen. Again, I encourage you to go to the CHGO Sports YouTube page, check out all the interviews that the CHGO Cubs team did at CubsCon with very good actual Chicago Cubs. Uh, but I, I was curious if you had any thoughts as, as the, the pitching guy on Stanek uh, in particular I know we've looked at a lot of the different relief candidates, uh, but one of the things we were talking about on Thursday was just how that sounds much more like the path the Cubs may go than when they were, uh, you know, in the rumors for Josh Hader. I even saw people talking about Chapman, who ended up going yeah. to the Pittsburgh Pirates. This type of thing seems more like something the Cubs are going to do to try to fill out this bullpen. Yeah, he's 32 years old, so he's one guy because of the recent success in the age he is going to demand less money less resources if you will and he comes with a degree of uncertainty still last year 4.1 era the year before with houston he was lights out he had a 1.15 era in 55 innings in 2022 what does he do well he throws very fast averages 98 miles per hour Upwards to 100, 101. He's unique in that he throws a slider, kind of like a cutter, but he also has a split finger pitch as well. So he uses a splitter and a slider about 20% of the time each. And then he finishes off batters up in his own with four seam fastballs. So the slider that he throws is unique because you might be able to think about his his form of attack similar to how lighter was used last year and how lighter was used was using splitters against left-handed batters as almost a reverse split guide almost as like a righty version of a loogie now you look at stanick i think council can use him in the same way 
Maybe Stanek has issues against right-handed batters, and the reason is because his slider only has about two inches of horizontal break. It's a little bit more of a tighter pitch, and he lacks that ability to get wipeout swing and misses that maybe Wisniewski can showcase with that sweeping curve to right-handed batters. And as a result, maybe Stanek can be used against lefties. There's concern about Leiter living up to his 2023 year. You look at Stanek, similar pitch repertoire. In fact, he throws much harder, but he still has that that split finger pitch that in theory should do well against opposite handedness. And it gives Craig Council an opportunity to maybe bridge the middle of the game to the back end of the game. If there's a heavy lefty portion of the lineup, even mixed in with a few righties that otherwise a lefty would have problems getting out. I like it. He's not going to be your closer per se. The numbers in 2022 with that one ERA, I'm sure is going to pique everyone's interest in a closer high leverage role. I wouldn't count on that unless there's significant changes. And maybe ultimately the Cubs do see something that can get him back to that point. But Stanek does appear to be one of those pitchers that meets the Cubs checkboxes, presumably inexpensive, high ceiling, with some recent success, but the ability to mold into something even more than what you see. Yeah, it's it's just I think the path you expect them to go. Um, I'm fine you know, with that. Yeah, and 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 like I said last week, like I was never really interested in them. I think making a move for someone like Hater is is much more the type of thing you do when you are like the Astros, you know, really trying to preserve a a title group and make sure you have what you need to win the division again. Obviously they're in the very tough division with the Rangers and get through the playoffs and, and sort of sustain that like top level of success. Cubs aren't there yet. And I think that would have been kind of over correcting for what your problem was yeah. last year. Now at the same time, I'm sure folks will say, uh, you know, it seems like another cheap, like, let's just find like the cheapest way to go no, about this. It, it, it's not though. Cause again, yeah. you look at his splits, he had a 270 Woba against left-handed batters, right? We're talking about a right-handed pitcher. So just that split alone suggests that the lefty value should sustain itself. Now, what can you do to get more righties out? Can you maybe add in more break to that slider? If you do, then that type of potential, it goes up at another octave because now maybe he can be in seventh, eighth, ninth guy. It's not a, it's not that much of a risk per se as it might appear on the surface of some fans. You're going to get value out of them unless he's injured if he's signed by the Cubs. Yeah. So, I, you know, look, this is just one name that's that's newer to the mix. I think there are, I'm sure, plenty of relievers the Cubs are looking at, but it is an area, I think, the the more the more quality options, and of course the degree of quality is going to vary, the more quality options you can assemble for Council and Tommy Hadovy to put together, I, I think they're ultimately going to come out with a bullpen that they can work with, yeah. uh, especially especially if you can just get to the deadline. Uh, then obviously if you need reinforcements or you do find yourself in a position where there, there's a specific need, you need uh, another lefty, you need another righty, you need a flamethrower, you need a bona fide closer because that role is is undefined by that time, then you can address that. But I think the the first step is, okay, what did we learn from last year about everybody and the roles that they can occupy? And how do we sort of reinforce that a little bit, at least for the first portion of the season? Yeah, I, it's similar to the concept of the Michael Fulmer signing last season. You knew at least you're going to get some type of 
value out of Fulmer, whether it be just eating innings. And outside of an injury, Fulmer was a valuable part of this bullpen. Towards the back end of yeah. August, prior to that injury, when he went down, all of us were very concerned given the bullpen stability at the time. So I look at it similar to this. And what I well, hope the Cubs do this go around, sorry to cut, cut you off there, but what I hope the Cubs do this go around is that they leave enough of a pillow financially where unlike in 2023, you can go out in the 2024 trade deadline and actually get one of those better projectable relievers and not, this is not to say, oh, he's a bad reliever, but there, there, there is a limited ceiling and not get someone like a Jose Quas alone, but you get someone yeah. like Quas and then some. That Put way you yourself in a position to forecast what you may need yes. and have yes. the resources available to actually use it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think Fulmer's a, a good kind of example of you can't I, like, I'm not going to look at everything and the bullpen and just go, well, it's going to be better because it's Craig council, but I, I do trust him much more with that. And I think that's a good example. Like Fulmer ended up being a very valuable piece for the Cubs outside of the injuries and outside of the fact that they kind of tried to shoehorn him in as the closer early on in the season. And while he was struggling or not getting results, they waited a bit too long to go away from that. But once he was moved to lower leverage and had time to kind of find himself, he was, he was very effective for quite some time for the Cubs. Yeah. So again, it's not an area where you just assume, oh, well, council will make, we'll just do it better. But I, I think either he might not have had him immediately as the closer, or he would have put him in better matchups or pulled that, is pulled that plug a little that. quicker. That's how yeah. I feel if I'm wrong yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, that yeah. way, yeah. but I, I do, I just sort of have an implicit trust with council in that regard. You know, when we, when we look back at what Ross did, one of the areas I actually liked from Ross was his aggression using certain relievers at times. For example, with Fulmer, he had just developed that sweeping slider and he was getting results pretty fast. And he tested Fulmer in high leverage, eighth and ninth inning rolls, almost from the get-go. A side of me liked that because I thought that was your peak value guy in the in the pen at the current time. And so I was fine with that. Now, if we compare Ross to Council, maybe Council doesn't put a former type player, someone who's developing a new pitch type with high potential in that position right from the get-go, because you can make the argument easily as we're doing right now, that giving former the high leverage opportunities in the midst of adapting to a new pitch type may not have been good for the short term for that bullpen. And they had bullpen issues. That was the yeah. one thing that haunted them in what, May or June of last year? They had bullpen problems. And former was part of that mix and part of those problems. Yeah, like on that trip to LA. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, and he's one who gave up those, some of those walk off and game winning mm -hmm. hits. So that's where I think the difference in council and Ross will be. I still think council will be aggressive, but I think he may not be as super aggressive as Ross was with some of these experiments on some of these pitchers. And we'll see what happens. But that's where we'll I think the front office hired council because he has a better yeah. chance of figuring that out sooner rather than Ross did. Yeah. And so, you know, again, we'll see what happens on the relief market. I think Stanek is, is an interesting option. Um, you know, again, I, I don't, I, I don't need them to commit too much money to the bullpen or, uh, you know, bring in guys with hall of fame pedigrees. I mean, look, all of these things would be nice, but we are operating under the clear assumption that the Cubs have some level of a budget and that's just not 
where I think those assets are best allocated right now. And again, that's not to say they shouldn't allocate some, but I think these types, getting more veterans, getting guys that Tommy Hadovy can play around with to add stability around the guys that were successful for you last year, like Azulay, Merriweather, Leiter, and giving Council the ability to not use those guys every day because you have other trustworthy options. You have other guys that can come in and pitch in a one-run game in the seventh inning, stuff like that. That's, I think, the real key for this team, not necessarily building the best bullpen of all time. So I uh, want to take our first ad break here, and then when we come back, uh, we're, we're talking pitching. We might as well keep it rolling with some all of right. that splitter discussion. Uh, but we'll we'll take our first ad break here, and we'll be back in a moment. Okay, first ad break here from Circa Sports. Tight money lines are what Circa strives to provide their betters with minus 110 splits on the Circa Sports menu, unlike other similar lines, which may use minus 115 or minus 120. Circa Sports keeps as little money as possible on large market bets, especially compared to those other books. And Circa does not limit players based on their winnings every Player has the same limits, unlike other books who do limit winning players. They are also real people behind the Circus Sports brand who resolve issues in a timely fashion, unlike other books who use chatbots. Download the Circus Sports Illinois app at circusports.com slash Illinois app to sign up today. Also, be on the lookout for Circa events, watch parties, and tailgates. And if you or somebody you know may have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER, 1-800-426-2537, or text GAMB to 833-234, or visit areyoureallywinning.com. Speaking of convenience, with Empire Today, you get to shop at-home convenience, the right product for your needs with quick and professional installation and a low price guarantee. Empire Today is the best place to get new flooring, so of course, they have copycats, but Empire can't be beaten on quality service speed, so those competitors advertise low-quality products that Empire simply will not carry. Empire won't promise the lowest prices because anyone who does that is putting flooring in your home that they would not put in their own home. They also have a virtual floor designer, which is a great way to see how new floors will look in any space. It's easy. Just snap a picture and instantly see how new floors will look in your own room. Shopping for floors at a big box store can be frustrating. You might talk to someone today who was working in plumbing yesterday. Well, flooring is all Empire Today does. They live and breathe flooring. So you can be confident that you're getting honest, upfront advice. They also service their own warranties. If any issue does arise, you can call Empire. They service all warranties themselves. You won't have to track down any manufacturer's phone number. So schedule a free in-home estimate today. All listeners can get $350 off when they use the promo code CHGO. Restrictions do apply. See empiretoday.com slash CHGO for details. All right, Brendan. So I want to talk about some of this, this splitter discussion. Uh, again, I think it's a good discussion for a day where, you know, we don't really have new players to dig into or really substantial rumors, at least as of the moment, the usual caveat in the off season podcast, things change quick. So if this podcast is outdated at any time, okay. Yeah, it is what it is. Sorry. But 
I saw this discussion uh, again about the splitter kind of becoming perhaps the next pitch that everybody kind of adopts. We heard a lot about the sweeper last year. You've talked a lot over the years about how the Cubs in particular are one of the teams that likes to throw sinkers up in the zone, which was not always something that people were super interested in doing. Even thinking of other paradigms we've seen in the league within the last several years, like you think about the launch angle stuff and, you know, how guys were changing their swings to get under the ball, hit more fly balls and focus on their launch angle because it was leading to more home runs. Guys like Justin Turner kind of completely overhauling how they hit and turning into completely different players. So these types of things, some I think are probably more, call it transformational to the game than others. Some really like the launch angle thing felt like it really took over. Like it really changed the game of baseball when teams started to do that and hitters started to do that. Sometimes it's maybe not as significant or maybe a a casual viewer wouldn't notice the impact. Like I'm not so sure uh, that, you know, more maybe like my mom and dad, like they probably heard you talking about Mm -hmm. uh, sweepers a lot, but like, I don't recall Mm -hmm. my mom you know, being like, oh, I'm, you know, like just talking about sweeping curveballs all the time. Like, I don't, I don't think that was a thing. Sliders actually, but yeah. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I don't being, listen to you, know, you when you do those breaks. I can so. tell. I can yeah. tell. Yeah. Um, but I saw the discussion of the splitter. So I want to sort of frame the conversation of why this particular pitch, uh, might be something we see more of in 2024 and then having you kind of look at, are there examples on the Cubs that are already doing this or that people can kind of think of when we're thinking of this? And are there candidates on this team who possibly could adopt one and maybe uh, turn this into a thing? So like I said, the discussion kind of coming from Mike Petriello, uh, who's over at MLB.com. I believe he was with uh Stackcaster Baseball Savant. I apologize to Mike if he yeah. listens to the show, but Advanced he's in MLB.com now. Advanced stats guy, uh, great yeah. follow on Twitter. So I'll I'll cede the floor to you to talk a little bit about uh, the splitter potentially becoming the big next big thing in 2024. Well, there's still a lot of unknowns with it. There was discussions about the splitter over the past year and a half. Japanese pitchers typically use splitters more often than American players. I think Kodai Senga opened up the eyes to many different players like wow that pitch is getting so much uh uh whiffs it's very effective i want to use that for myself for for me it wasn't the first person that i ever saw throw it but who was the first person for you oh tanaka tanaka when he was was coming over that was when i was working for the yankees and so obviously i'd seen a lot of those splitters so the the first when i think of splitters two guys come to mind the first guy is jeff samarja uh Jeff Samarja, when he Spell was it at right his now. S-A-M-A-R-D-Z-I-G-J-A, not G. I get the yes, G's and yes, J's yes. in my mind mixed up. No, well, we're going to give that to you. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate that. <laughs> when he was at his best, he was using splitters like crazy. I forget which year it was, but he started using cutters more. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is before the whole pitch lab, all this stuff. And as a result, his whiff rate went down, the value went down, but his splitter was so good and he was getting so many whiffs before. That's the first guy I think of. The second guy with the splitter I think of is Kevin Gossman, Corey. Kevin oh. Gossman. <laughs> but 
it's a good is a good reason to bring them up in this. That's podcast. why you wanted to talk about this. Oh, yeah, I knew it was a hidden course. agenda, folks. Of course. <laughs> so I I believe one reason why Gossman wasn't uh, sought after even more than he was is because teams are trying to project starting pitchers in the future, and for an ace like Gossman who uses splitters as his dominant secondary pitch, there isn't much of a precedence. So if you're trying to project a pitcher three, four, five years in advance, who do you compare him to? And the list is very small. That's where I think there's a lot of hesitancy because in Major League Baseball, the list of of pitchers having success with splitters is very small, but it does not mean the pitch is ineffective. There's been a history, maybe a, a, a stereotype, if you want to call it this, but splitters being maybe uh, uh, injury prone, given the pressure you put on your on your arm by splitting your fingers quite literally. You know, I'm sure physicians will have more to say about that than than any of us. But the reason splitters are going to gain more popularity is because of the recent success by Gossman by Sanga and the greater understanding that hitters are going to adjust to the current way of pitching. They're already doing that. The sweeping slider did get hit a little bit more in 2023 and the ability for starting pitchers to go deep into games, I think is going to start to rebound at least the way I think about that. And maybe the four or five innings spurs that we've seen Maybe we want those guys to go six innings. And the way to do that is you have a pitch type that can offset platoon splits as well. So with a splitter, you can offset platoon splits if you're a right-handed guy going against lefties. Lighter was one guy who did that last year. And Stanek, who we were just talking about, currently does that. That's where I think there's value to this particular pitch in contrasting a splitter versus a sweeper. Let's say you have the best sweeper versus the best splitter. best splitter is likely going to be more valuable against both right-handed batters and left-handed batters as a bulk. The best sweeper, one of the best sweepers in the league is Hayden Wisniewski. He may not be able to start right now because he doesn't have a pitch to go against left-handed batters. He can't throw that sweeper against left-handed batters. That's the value of that pitch. Who on the Cubs could develop that? It, it It's such an unknown. That's the thing. I think certain guys will be very hesitant to try it. And if I were a pitcher, a 28, 29, 30-year-old pitcher, there's no way in hell I'm trying that. I'm not going to risk that unknown in my stage of the career. Where I think the splitter maybe tests a little bit more is just earlier on in development, in double A, single A, perhaps. But giving guys who have had a degree of success a new pitch type in the form of a splitter, I think it would be difficult to allow the pitcher to trust that pitch. Then again, if there's pitchers who are on the uh, fringe of their careers, they may be willing to try it out. But I don't think it's going to be like a, a, a snap of your fingers, how it was for sweepers, because you had to literally just change the way the seams were oriented or changed your grip, and that was it. Splitters is a whole new ball game, so I think it will take some some time, and it's to be determined how how implementable it is for a lot of these uh, pitchers. Can you? For I mean, and really for the the YouTube audience as well, but I think especially for the podcast listeners, uh, and I don't mean to imply that they don't know this. If you do, please ignore. I mean, but you, just you know, sometimes just trying to explain stuff. Could you just describe 
describe a splitter to me as we're talking about this. How does it move? How does it compare to other pitches? Paint, paint a little bit of a visual to folks who maybe aren't completely able to visualize what, what is a splitter? What does it do? Uh, imagine a pitch is coming out of a pitcher's hand. Okay. It looks like it's coming at you and then it disappears and it goes straight down. <laughs> That's what it's like. A, it's a ghost looking tight pitch. And so for splitters, and it's usually thrown with the speed closer to a fastball. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a deceptive pitch against a four seam fastball, even maybe sinkers as well, given certain uh, deceptiveness. The, the way you can think about this is let's look at Kyle, let's look at Kyle Hendricks changeup. He has two changeups. He has a changeup that tails with like 15 inches of, of, um, arm side run. Then he has a changeup that almost looks like it's a relative cutter that just drops. The question is, why does Hendricks use a cutting changeup in a in a, a tailing changeup? It's because the offset handedness in that cutting changeup will actually not tail as much. Those splitters, depending on how you actually throw it, might be able to then offset some of the 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 opposite handedness that you see. And to your point, yeah, it looks going to look like a fastball. Uh, in the case of Leiter, he only had about six inches of horizontal break. So it wasn't, it wouldn't generate as much run as you might think. And then you look at um, Kodai Senga's, his, his splitter just goes straight down, man. His thing, his splitter doesn't have any, any arm side, any arm side break. And it allows you to then maybe not sacrifice as much like velo off off of it if 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 you want to think about it like that. But it's more of a just a deceptive pitch. Uh, it's harder to read given the the way it spins out of a hand versus a changeup, and it mirrors a fastball in theory more than a changeup would. Okay, and so you know you were talking about how you know it it may be a difficult pitch to implement i do remember seeing you tweet something about drew smiley who was at driveline is that what he's working on or something else yeah he's working on this uh uh split looking cutter thing and they, <laughs> that's really what it is the the movement profile on that that is crazy so smiley has Smiley's an outlier in every sense of the way a pitcher is described. Uh, he throws a, a curveball that is basically his dominant fastball, if you want to think about it like that. But he lacks a pitch to get more whiffs, and they're trying to throw this new pitch to increase the probability of getting whiffs. And you can think about this maybe being effective against right-handed batters in the same way a splitter has been effective for lighter against left-handed batters. So if he has... You know, if he's leading with a sinker or a knuckle curveball to right-handed batters, he doesn't really have anything that goes the opposite direction, relatively speaking, that go that will go down. And for a smiley, maybe he's uh, going to develop that pitch, and he would be the one to develop that crazy-looking pitch. And that's interesting because you know something we were talking about the bullpen too, like, and I'm not sure what I necessarily expect. Like, obviously, going into this season. Uh, you know, Drew's going to be 35 in a, in a few months, but he was good for the Cubs as a reliever. Like he's someone who like, until I just mentioned this, I did not really remember that he was on the team. Uh, no offense to Drew Smiley. Uh, but 
2.51 ERA once he switched to being a reliever, 28 innings, like, you know, 216 batting average against as a reliever. Like he was pretty useful. If he can develop another pitch that sort of allows him to find more success in that, like, okay. I mean, I'm intrigued at the very least. Yeah, I mean, you're going to have more depth on the splitter. That's what you're trying to create. You can think of a changeup as having, you know, good separation from a four seam. That splitter is going to imagine you put steroids in a baseball for a changeup. That's what a splitter is. You're going to have more depth to that pitch. That's the best way I can describe it. So it's just a very difficult pitch to throw. I mean, you're throwing literally a baseball by releasing within the two inside part of your fingers versus a changeup for some guys. It's more like this, where you're just letting it go off different pressure points on these particular fingers. So it's, it's, I love when you do the pitch grips. Yeah. Well, I'm not really a pitch grip guy to be quite I'm a visual learner. So I can tell. Yeah. 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 You never listen to anything I say, but if I put up a, if I put up a graphic, you'll pay attention. That's the reason why I make graphs. Absolutely. Just to keep, just to keep, I just want to look at pictures and videos. I can tell. Yeah. I can tell. No one ever used to read sports illustrated. They used to look at the pictures and that was it. Yeah. And that's why they had to, fire everybody that works there. So yeah, sad. Um, all right. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, we'll see exactly how that happens. And of course, you know, as you're saying, it's not the most easy thing to implement for a lot of pitchers, but I do think it's interesting. Like I said, especially on an off season episode where there's not too much going on. I, I could read from you, John Heyman just, uh, you know, shared another post over at the New York post where it's the same blurb about the Cubs that we've been reading for, uh, every single day for the last four months. You guys ready for this? Mm-hmm. They were interested in Reese Hoskins, who's a Milwaukee brewer. They're still interested in Cody Bellinger, who's the most logical fit. Maybe they would be interested in Matt Chapman too. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> so, I, I, I do wonder, so are these writers doing this? He, he would have had to have added the Reese Hoskins note. But like, I wonder if they're just like copying and pasting the stuff about the Cubs from the beginning of the off season. It's the same thing. I mean, there's, I'm numb at this point. I'm numb to all the reports. So what I was saying though, is I feel like that's a good opportunity to, you know, just take some time to look at something like that. And if it does come to pass that it is more common as, as time goes on, or you see pitchers starting to talk about it or develop it, well, then perhaps you'll remember that say. on the on the CHGO Cubs podcast, you had a little primer for it well in advance. I, I will I will say, like I know a few pitching coaches, so I was talking to him about this today, and I texted one of my friends. I'm like, hey, you remember when I was talking to you about how the Cubs are throwing sinkers up in the zone like four or five years ago, and how you like kind of talked down that idea. And I'm like, look, look at this now. And he's like, yeah, I've been actually working with my own pitchers to do that now. I'm like, okay. So four or five years ago, you're talking down on this concept. Now you're doing it too. And across the league, there's been an increased trend of sinkers from right-handed batters up and in, to, or from right-handed pitchers up and in to right-handed batters. And the Cubs so, been do, they've so been doing this for five years. If Tommy Hadovy were a loyal listener of this podcast, Dude. they could have been ahead of the game years ago. Listen. I, my very first article that I wrote for CHGO was titled, are the Cubs at the forefront of a sinker revolution? This is two years ago. And now we're just hearing about this today. We've been on this for two years. The Cubs have been doing this since 2019, even before the pandemic. 
the moment Tommy Hobby got hired, they were start they started to do this. Kyle Hendricks fastball up in his own. They had success even with Alec Mills. Alzali was doing this prior to developing the cutter. Uh, they even unfortunately didn't work. But they tried it with uh, Zach Davies. Did not work there. But this is what they do. They had success with Marcus Stroman having sinkers like that. And Javier Sads now the new poster child of this. So they have had success, immense success for years doing this. Yeah. All right. So we shall see. Uh, when we come back, we'll hit our second ad break here and then want to come back for our last segment. And unf- yeah, talk about some of those same rumors, but kind of with the bigger picture of the idea of blocking prospects, just a loose conversation on thoughts on that. And we'll go, we'll go from there, but we're going to hit our second ad break here. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Okay. So I was watching the CHGO bears today, Corey, they were at Midtown athletic club in Bannockburn. I saw those videos. I, I hope everyone got a chance to see those videos. What an incredible complex. I, I want to live. If I were in Chicago, I would be at Midtown, I kid you not, every single day. Not just to work out, just to hang out. It looks unbelievable there. They have four locations, Palatine, Bannockburn, Willowbrook, and Midtown Athletic Club and Hotel in the middle of Bucktown and Lincoln Park. They have something for everyone. Single people, families with kids, people looking to make lifestyle changes, ordering to holistic wellness. Again, very luxury-looking type club. They also have yoga. They have ride and cycling spin courses. They have cross training. I saw those like football field looking things that got out there for cross training. They have group exercise courses. They also have the best tennis courts and programming in the sport. They have indoor, outdoor tennis, pickleball and paddle tennis. That is USTA professional quality all the way. Come check out the space and head over to midtown.com slash to find out more and to tour the Midtown Athletic Club near you. All right. And Corey, if you're in the market for a new vehicle, then we have some great news for you. Our partner, Ray Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in Fox Lake is starting their Ray Resolution with the Start Something New sales events. And you know what that means? You'll be able to shop incredible savings on every new vehicle in stock because they want to clear the lot to make room for brand new 2024 vehicles. For a limited time, get up to $9,000 off on new Jeep models with dealers discounts. And that's not all. Shop their last call on remaining 2023 Dodge Challenger and Charger models, including Hellcats, Scat Packs, and more. Dodge is the most powerful muscle car brand, so you don't want to miss out on their last call with over 20 Dodge muscle cars to choose from. At Ray CDJR, you'll always be able to shop one of Chicagoland's largest inventories and drive home with more money in your pocket than you'd expect thanks to Ray's price promise. So don't miss out. Shop great deals all month long and save big because Ray CDJR makes buying a new vehicle more affordable than ever. And fans can get a free oil change when you mention CHGO at the service center or mention CHGO when you book online at raycdjr.com slash service. I'm sure Jed Hoyer will be using our code, Corey, the the frugal Jed Hoyer that he is. But you have to schedule before January 31st. If you're in the market for a new vehicle, then you have to check out the team at Ray Chrysler, Dodge Jeep, and Ram because they are the only team we recommend. Visit them on Route 12 and Fox Lake. For more information, visit RayCDJR and Fox Lake or RayCDJR.com, serving the community since 1963. All right, Brendan. 
let's let's finish up here. Uh, and I say finish up like you know. Sometimes I say that and we end up talking and for another like forty three hours minutes, later. Yeah, we'll see. Um, I, I I am curious just to get your general thoughts. So even going off of that latest Heyman blurb, like it's the same players we've heard, but you do still hear the connection to. Matt Chapman, you did still hear the connection to Reese Hoskins, though that did obviously die down after the Michael Bush trade. Of course, the connection to Cody Bellinger. And one of the conversations that I think we've seen a lot in our YouTube comments or on social media, there, there's kind of, I think, maybe not exactly two spheres that Cubs fans exist in. There's probably more than that. But if you were boiling it down to two, there's, I think, a side that is basically sign great players. I don't really think much beyond that. And wait a minute, don't block this position because we have X, Y, Z person coming up in the system and you don't want to make a long-term deal at those positions. So I, I guess just like generally, how do you feel about that notion? Because I, I guess putting it to you clearer, my, my instinct when I hear that. And of course, every prospect isn't the same. Every free agent isn't the same. Every contract isn't the same. There's a lot of nuance here. But my initial reaction to that is the Cubs having too many good players that either people have to play out of position, as we've seen them do a thousand times, or you have to trade people or things like that. That I That sounds like a wonderful problem to have. And in the short term, not getting good players because someone might need to play third base in a year or something like that, not really how I would operate. So I'm curious when when that part of the discussion comes up, how do you generally feel about it? I understand fans' perspectives who are concerned about blocking prospects. I do. The way I would phrase their concern is that they would think that, for example, by sh by signing Matt Chapman, then you decrease the likelihood of getting value from, let's say, Shaw. And as a result, Shaw would not be able to go through the necessary adjustments because he's being blocked by Chapman. Now, the counter to that point would be, well, you can trade Shaw if that's the case. The counter to that counter would be, well, you're not going to get peak value from Shaw because teams will not trade much for That's not really what my immediate counter would be. My immediate counter, on the, if we're going to get into the specifics, we might as well talk about the Cubs and the specifics, right? We don't have to be general about it. But if we're talking about Shaw in particular, one, there's legitimate question as to whether he stays at third base. I've read that since they drafted him. Every prospect person I've looked at asks that question, if he has the, the staying power at third base specifically. Yes, uh, that, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Not, not that's not my scouting report. That's what I read from people who have watched him or are watching him in the in the minors or the complex or whatever. The other thing I would say is you've got the DH, you have first base, you can put guys at different positions. And the likelihood that that specific scenario comes up where it's like, well, Matt Chapman has to play third base. So sorry, this great prospect that we drafted and are excited yeah. about. You have to sit on the bench or we have to trade you. I, I just feel like that is not 
likely to happen. It I always think- reminds me, and again, it's it's they're not all the same, but it always reminds me of the too many shortstops discussions that everyone had in 2014, 2015, like that area with Torres, Russell, Baez. And like that didn't, it didn't really happen that way. Like, of course they traded Glaber because they had the surplus there. And, and of they course traded they Castro too. To make the move. Right. But even Castro that I, I forgot cash. He was in the, he was one of the shortstops, right? He, he was, was the shortstop when the conversation started about having yeah. too many shortstops. And then before that was Terrio. But in, but in even, I'm ignoring that even <laughs> like in that scenario, were they all all stars from that point on? No, a few of them became unplayable even in the league. So like when they needed to move, when Javi became the better player and deserved to be the shortstop, they switched him. They switched him and Russell when Castro was inconsistent and they needed to make decisions, they traded him. Like, I I just don't think that specific concern to me in general is a reason not to make the 2024 team better. At the current moment, their third base situation, as you and I talked about last week, to me is a mess. It's a mess for a team trying to seriously. You don't trust Nick Madrigal? No, compete for a playoff spot. But like, does that, 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 like, that means you can't address that now because Matt Shaw might need that position in six months, a year, two years. Like, I, I don't think that makes any sense. Now, granted, I, I, I do think it, is it a wise decision to sign Matt Chapman or someone like that to an eight year contract? Of course not. That's, but the contract they're if they were going to bring him in the contract they're comfortable with is going to be a few years probably you can move him to a different position you can do all sorts of things i don't always like to relate things to the 2016 cubs but i do like talking Why? about them because Why? they won the world series oh. brendan i think i have a hat behind me in front of my guys okay. these I are can, my guys by that. the way if yeah. anybody's watching on youtube these two gentlemen back Your guys here. okay um they they have seen a lot of cubs baseball they were around in like 2004 and they and they still have a smile on their face good yeah, for them yeah. <laughs> that's great uh but i do i do have the hat here oh, okay what does uh, that say world series champion oh, got, got it yeah but like you look at that team ben zobris played 50 positions wilson Contreras was in the outfield like Chris Bryant was playing the outfield at points in his career. Kyle Schwarber started right field in the 2015 wildcard. Sometimes game. you just need to make things work. And I, I, of course you don't want to lock up every position with a five to 10 year deal. Of course, Yeah. There, there's obviously scenarios where you can literally block players by the way you've spent money, but that is not the position that the Cubs are in. And even some of the guys they have under contract, like, Every to me, when when that's the concern, you don't have to love Matt Chapman. This doesn't have to be about Matt Chapman, like specifically necessarily. But you see it even with Bellinger, where people are like, "Well, they if they're committed to Bush at first base and PCA needs to play, like where's everybody playing? Like this and this." You have to try to win now. You can't not make moves to me under the assumption that all these prospects are going to work and they all need a place to play. But moreover than that, when you look at this Cubs roster, you can't find anybody on this roster 
that doesn't necessarily need to play 162 games and play those 162 games at the exact same position every day. Come on. Ian Happ can take a, a rest if you need to put somebody in the outfield or somebody needs to DH. Bush at first base is completely unproven. He he has to play every single day. There's no possible way to make a rotation of Cody Bellinger, PCA, and Bush between first DH and center field work. I don't believe you. I just I think it's 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 become too much of a concern for why the Cubs in particular should not make the current team better because we have to keep this space completely clear for other guys. I, I, it's just not the way I see it. Make the team better now. Deal with the uh, the crowded room later. That that that's the better problem to have, Brendan, isn't it? Yes, I think if you reduce it down, that's the way to do it. It's not a bad thing. In our example of signing Matt Chapman for a three-year deal, if Matt Chapman is a four-win player and you're concerned about Shaw because Shaw in his limited playing time is doing so well, hallelujah. Right, that's what I'm Thank saying. Yeah. And then you can figure we, it out. So lucky. Yeah, and the the way, just to add to your point, and by the way, I was playing devil's advocate here. I, I would know. sign Matt Chapman today. I have my Cubs checkbook right here. Yeah. I signed him. I, I paid well, for him and, myself. I mean, even even like from my perspective, I'm, I'm speaking generally, like in a vacuum, just kind of as a, like, of course, there's specific situations where this is true. Now, you know, when we were in the studio today, I talked with Brian and Cody, or excuse me, in the studio on Thursday, I talked with Brian and Cody about like Bush getting traded from LA because he was blocked, and I talk to you about that. And I was like, listen, when the Cubs have Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and even Max Muncie, who was playing yeah. a lot of third base for them, you let me know. Okay. The, the, when the, they have Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, and those are the people blocking the positions, you guys yeah. give me a call. Okay. Cause the, the Cubs do not have those players right now. The irony in that is the Cubs acquired a prospect who was blocked by giving up their best left-handed pitching prospect. <laughs> and the Dodgers were able to get maybe two immediate high-value, low prospects, yeah. and that's valuable. So if that's the case for the Cubs, if they can land We into should start a blocking more people. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. blocking more yeah. people. But it also requires a front office that is capable of making those moves, right? So this all comes back down to even the front office executing their plan and making the trades that allow the prospect pipeline to continue to progress, but also sustaining major league value for years yeah. to come. I so also, it's a very multi-dynamic process. Sort of, you know, I think back to the difficult situation that PCA was put in last year when he was called up, obviously being so young and having to make those adjustments in the middle of a playoff race and not just a playoff race, a playoff race where every single game was life or death for the Cubs at that time. You know, you talk about wanting a soft landing for these guys and the ability to integrate them into your lineup or into the daily routine of things as you see best fit. Some guys it's going to be playing every day. Some guys it's going to be playing specific handedness matchups, whatever it may be to best acclimate them to the major leagues. To me, having solid options around these guys at similar positions allows you to do that because then you don't have it. It is not sink or swim for all of these guys. Like if they were to give the job to Matt Shaw out of spring training, 
that is a lot of pressure. I, and I'm not saying that's going to happen. It's just an example. Like that is a lot of pressure because we, at least you and I feel, and some others feel the options at third base beyond that are not enough for a playoff team. So if he doesn't come out the gate and just kill it, uh Oh, everybody. And, and honestly, like at the moment, it's, it's a similar situation for Bush. Who's playing first base. If he doesn't work out Mervis, you just did this same thing with him. You, you provided him with garbage backup. So when he failed, it was a big problem for the team. So like, I, I don't know, man, I think having good players who can, take some of that time and be sort of a an insurance policy or just kind of leading the way at those positions. I, I think it's a good thing, but I don't know. The Cubs have had success with this exact scenario. They acquired Miguel Montero and in doing so had a three-year, $40 million contract commitment to Miguel Montero. 2017, Miggy complains about Jake Arrieta being slow to home plate. Theo uh, and and Jed decide to cut Miggy and pay the rest of his $13 million AAV that year and have Wilson Contreras take the reins, who was at the time locked in 2016 by David Ross and Miguel Montero. And they still, to your point, they made it work. Wilson right, and like was, kind of. Like, yeah, he was blocked in a sense, but he caught, but he hit, like, they and they didn't have the DH value. at that time. We, I think, here's the thing. I think sometimes we zoom in on trying to maximize player value, and I understand that. But I want to maximize team value. And the way to maximize team value is to offset risk while also still having the ability to reach a high threshold of value. The way I think about Matt Chapman is the defense. This this needs to be emphasized here. He is a generational defensive third baseman, Corey. I'm talking one of the best talented third baseman I've ever seen. You bought into this. I really have. Yeah. I'm getting emotional over this. I like I like going through the progression of our conversations and kind of being able to pinpoint those moments. I'm like, oh, Brendan's convinced himself <laughs> of this. Like <laughs> I did. I convinced myself like five days ago. Yeah. And but back to the Chapman point, the you just just watch the video. And I put out the side by side of Nick Magical and Matt Chapman, not to diminish Magical, who was valuable, but Chapman is truly a third baseman. He plays 15 feet further back than Magical does, and as a result, he can go all across the zone. The reason that some of the zone metrics for Magical were higher than Matt Chapman is because they were tracking based metrics where they just take a target and they see how magical moves. The reason that in some cases Chapman, let's say, was less valuable is because Chapman is playing in a position at third base that no one plays. So your ability to track probability is skewed because no one plays there. If you look at DRS and UZR, he's among the best and has been among the best for seven seasons. So that right there already gives you a high floor value, like we talk about Dansby Swanson. And the hitting value, the potential value, even if Chapman's a 325 weighted on base average guy, if you want to just project that, sure, kind of like Dansby, it's a 3-4 win player right there. And he has some of the best hitting metrics from a chase rate, from a batted ball quality perspective, as well as contact rate. Hits the ball hard, 
Hits it frequent, doesn't chase. So formula for success. Now, the reason why I bought into this so much is because as the offseason is going along, the dollar signs in my mind keep dropping. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a scenario, given the widespread projections going into the year for Chapman's contract, that the Cubs might be able to get him at a three-year deal for like $20, $25 million per year. And given where we are in the offseason, if it comes to a fourth year, I may be willing to do that because the options are off the table. Reese Hoskins is gone. Bush is all over the place in projections despite confidence going into the year with them. He is the surest bat, arguably the surest contract, Corey, even above Bellinger on the market right now. Sure, yes, I want that contract. I want that player on the Cubs given where we are right now. Yeah, look, again, it's it's not all apples to apples. And I didn't necessarily mean to present it that way. I hope I didn't. But I think just as a general philosophy, I think the amount of times that not making certain moves because an unproven player, in some cases, who has never even played at the major league level, needs to occupy that same position. When do you think Shaw would be good? I don't think that's a good way of operating. Right. In your mind, when would you consider Shaw projectable that can give you value consistently? Seriously, what year? I mean, I I feel like, you know, best case scenario, maybe he comes up to hit toward the end of this year, but that's crazy, isn't it? Slot him in to be a consistent hitter. 2025, maybe? At minimum. Yeah. At minimum. Okay. You you, you can't, you, you, you you have to give him time to see how At it goes. Minimum. And yeah. even 2025, you're it's probably not realistic, yeah. right? And so like, 2026. But hold on, stay with me here before yeah, I throw yeah, back I'm to with you. you. So 2026, then you are on Seiya Suzuki's last year. You're on Ian Happ's last year. Right. You're on Nico Horner's this is what I'm last saying. year. Yeah. And now There's you just wasted that window. Work. Yes. You just wasted that window. That's well, And and I do want to be clear because I did say this, but like part of really why I feel that way is you have to 2024 is an opportunity to win. Yeah, man. And saying, well, we can't make the team better in the immediate because of X, Y, Z. Okay. But like I, I, but this is a, each opportunity to win is precious. And I think thinking always not never, you know, but always in this like future oriented mindset, like it's just so yes. risky. I just don't but think that, it's necessary. I think the, yes. uh, again, the amount of times that a, a prospect has truly been blocked, like where they're like, we literally don't have anywhere to put him. We have all-stars at every position or he's a great defender, but we don't have someone to, how often is that really happening? I, I, I just, I don't buy it. And of course things happen. But like, it's even a recent example. Like if the Cubs had decided, and to be fair, they have not had good center fielders until they signed Cody Bellinger and put him there. But had they been not doing anything in the outfield or center field because they were saving it for Brennan Davis, like Brennan Davis got hurt. It's very unfortunate and unfair to him as a person, but that's life. That's baseball. And that's not even someone who came up and didn't produce. He, he hasn't even had that opportunity yet because of these injuries and how far they've set him back. So it's just, it's just to say, like, if you're sitting there forecasting, like, no, 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 we can't sign an outfielder. We can't sign uh, a center fielder because that's Brendan Davis territory. 
let's, you can't let's, operate that way, man. Like, let's I, stay on the let's stay on this thought process. In, in, I, in, in twenty fifteen, would it have been a bad idea for the Cubs to sign a, a thirty year old third baseman to a ten year deal? Of course, they had the top prospect in baseball playing third base. Is that what we're talking about with any of these other guys? It, no, of course not. You well, know, Chris like I was already debuting this. in 2015 too. So it's like, it's, it's like, I'm saying was, going into it. So I'm yeah, saying like, yeah. yeah, of course, when you have the top prospect in baseball too. and he needs to play third base, should you lock up that position for a decade? Of course not. Like, yes, that would be an instance of blocking a prospect and not really having good logic to do so. Yes. But that is, that's not what we're talking about there. They wouldn't sign Matt Chapman to a, a, that long of a deal. They're not going to block the entire team. Yes. I let's digress. Stay, I feel like I'm repeating on, myself, no. but I, but I, I, that's, that's just how I feel it, it, to uh, me. It's just like, I, I don't care about blocking prospects basically. I, like, I don't think it's actually happening. I like where you are in your thought process right now, because this is, this is what I've been trying to say for like a year now. So let's go back. You said it's risky to assume that Shaw is going to be valuable given some of the timing on these other contracts. You, then you went to 2015 saying, well, you have Chris Bryant, who was not the third baseman to start 2015, but he was right there. So it was a bad idea to give a 10 Well, he needed contract. to work on his defense. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then you mentioned Matt Mervis situation. Those are three good examples. Those are front office executive decisions that had extreme consequences in both good and bad. The Cubs in the front office in 2015, they hit, they made the right decisions by allowing Chris Bryant to come up relatively fast with Russell and to get the highest win percentile from their projection in 2015. That was the right move. Now let's fast forward to the Matt Mervis situation. They missed on Mervis by in their minds going into 2023, leaving the opportunity open for him to be valuable because there wasn't a confident projection for him, but there's still a possibility he could be valuable. So what they did was let's offset that risk by getting a free Eric Hosmer and signing Trey Mancini to a 7 million annual average value and spread it across two years. That proved to be an, an incredibly horrible decision that has long-lasting decisions, even to this day, that has led to now trading for Michael Bush and leading, leaving the Cody Bellinger situation a little bit more money, buddy. But ultimately, in 2023, if you want to reduce it down, and it's not to say this is the exact reason among a multitude of reasons, but they missed the playoffs by one game. They missed it by one game. And I don't think we really talk about this enough because we said so many times, if they missed the playoffs by one game, I'm never going to forgive this. And ultimately what happened was they missed the playoffs by one game to the NL pennant winners and in the process accumulated negative four war across several of their bench players. And now Matt Mervis is not even in the picture for 2024. They really missed on that. And where I've been really concerned over the course of this offseason is a front office ability to truly, truly capture the risk for the next two, three years in a way that that affects their current operation. And where I'm concerned for the front office is what we're seeing right now, where they're making moves, having a better in their process and their projections 
a better confidence than what's actually based in reality. And I feel as if sometimes some of these moves I've seen in the past two years decrease my confidence in that process because they've missed on a lot, right? And I'm worried yeah. that if they do this again, where they're weighing the future and miscalculating the potential value that we will look back in 23 in these windows, but damn, you know, they didn't, they really missed on that again. That's why I am inclined to sign Matt Chapman and maybe risk some development for Matt Shaw. Sure. But I am more inclined to at least lock in value for 24 and 25. And that is what I'm willing to risk. And I think that's where the front office will have to define themselves for the next few years and decisions like those. Yeah. It, it's an interesting discussion. And and like I said, there's nuance to it. Each prospect isn't the same. Each free agent option isn't the same. And of course, as a front office, you have to have conviction in certain things. If you believe a prospect is going to be that person and things like that, you have to act that way. Like there's certain directions that, you know, there's a fork in the road. You, you have to pick one. You have to be convicted about a lot of these things. And sometimes they'll get that right. And they'll, you know, clear the way, like, you know, we said, like, it was an easy one, but like you cleared the way for Chris Bryant, it worked out really well for you. There's other times where that's not going to work. You clear the way for a prospect and you wish maybe you had not done that, or you had supplemented that position uh, throughout those years because that prospect didn't pan out or whatever the reason may be. So, but to me, get as many good players as you can possibly have and deal with that problem when you have that problem. For most yeah. teams, especially because of injuries, uh, the you know guys needing rest, the DH position being at it, I, I really don't see it being as big. I just don't think it's as big of a concern as it seems to get mentioned. I mean, I think, I think it is. The amount that that idea gets talked about and I think yeah. worried about far outweighs its actual significance in real life. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I agree. I don't think it's like a non non-factor. I think no, you can of make the, I think you can make the argument by getting Chapman you will reduce the reps for certain prospects. That is that is a potential possibility. But yeah. I don't but I'm in my mind that's that's a, that's such a a low probability risk. So I don't I don't care about that. If that happens, yeah. sure. That's what I'm willing to accept by signing Matt Chapman. I mean, I mean, like, man, right, you know, look, like, where where are, are our expectations here? Are we? See, that's what that's exactly what I, I mean, was sort geez, of about to man. say. Are we? Are we in the bit? Are we trying to win championships? Or are we trying to make sure we have the 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 exact perfect spot for Dude, someone who's I'm nineteen like losing, years old? To, I'm like, I'm like wow. losing my. I feel like make I, the team better. Deal with it later. I feel like I lose my mind sometimes. Like, some like sometimes do we see what's in front of us, and do we get lost in numbers? I'm I'm seeing this as like a numbers guy, but yeah. the the comparison of value that Magical brings versus Chapman is laughable. <laughs> you can't. I'm the state. I want to say this very clearly. We right did now. a whole thing on it last I'm, week. I didn't. I want to do it again. Okay, because stuff has come up, and again. Good for magical, super nice guy. Great interview and, and everything, right? But it's it's to put him in a conversation with Matt Chapman is unbelievably flawed. It's really like we need to have a third baseman with projectable value. 
Madrigal as a defender alone, because we're very interesting outs above average, is ridiculous. You put Matt Chapman and, and Nick Madrigal at the corner with equal setup positions, and I hit 100 balls to them, who's making the more plays? You think Nick Madrigal is going to out-defend Matt Chapman? Like, really? And then on top of that, you think that Nick Madrigal is going to out-slug Matt well, Chapman? Who in the world is thinking that? These are um, some people really think that that Nick Madrigal should be a third base. I don't Chicago think he could outslug you, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I appreciate that. Um, no, I put it. That's, to, that's, that's where our expectations I, need to listen, be raised I, a little bit. I, I, I hear no? you. Yeah, and I hear you. He can be a fine bench piece. I don't want to hate on the guy, but like we're comparing him to Matt Chapman. That's how we've fallen as a society. When I was looking at that in particular, I'm like, listen, it, picture it. It's game seven in the NLCS. There's two outs. Mookie Betts hits a ground ball to third base. You tell me which one you feel more confident <laughs> fielding the ball. If if you if you take Madrigal, by all means, listen, live your life. You, that's fine. You but know when there's I'm, a ground in no way, shape, or form is that how I would. Operate? You know when there's a ground ball hit to Dansby, everyone says, oh. I can relax. You know it's going to be. Well, to be fair, like this is this is also true of everybody else. They have at third base. Yeah, Wisdom, absolutely, Morel, put anybody absolutely. there. None of them can adequately play the position in my mind. 100%. And again, that's not clearly. It's not dissing the work Madrigal did. I've eaten crow. I said he couldn't do it. I I I said on these airwaves he could not play adequate average major league third base. And he went out and proved me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from him, but it's to, it's to your point. We have to be raising the standard here. Are we trying to win a, a championship or are we trying to shine up every little thing that the Cubs currently have to justify it being part of the MLB but roster or like needing. No. Let, let's, let's not no, no, get no. lost in the defensive numbers too. Let's consider what outs above average captures. Let's consider what DRS captures, UZR captures, you're, and let's use our eyes. Okay? You're going to end up, you're going to end up writing like the definitive dissertation that takes down some of these defensive metrics simply to prove <laughs> this Listen, one point. Man, I got worked up. I was texting Cody. I was Brendan, texting this Cody is brilliant. Like Where morning. did you come up with it? I just couldn't believe it. I mean, that it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I got like literally like a hundred tweet responses about outs above average last week. And again, we just have to consider what the information is providing us. And for, for magical, it's a marker. It's a proxy for quality cups, coaching positioning magical where he was closer to the infield grass. That's what it was. And he performed exceptionally on those hard hit balls to him yeah. closer to the grass. Look, man, uh, ultimately, and I've said this before and we can start to wrap up here. Because you and I are getting uh, delirious, I think you can sense it. But I'm just getting pissed off, man. It's I'm like, it, I'm, this, this pisses it, me it all, off. All of this goes back to the same thing. I, I think everybody who's likely listening to this, especially if you've made it this far in this episode, we all want the same thing. We want the Cubs to win championships. We want them to be one of the best teams in the league. Now, everybody certainly is not going to agree on how to get there and how to sustain that success, et cetera, et cetera. But I think where Brendan and I are, and we've gotten there over the last few years and how things have operated and turned out, of course, in terms of the outcomes, I, I, I need a more serious effort at this exact moment. I cannot, I can't take not making this roster better 
doesn't matter who the player is. I can't take not making this roster better because we're, we need to save the space for a prospect that is a year or two or sometimes even more away from setting foot in the major leagues, let alone showing you that they belong there and kind of proving the whole thing. I, I can't get on board with it. They have to act more serious than that. And and I'd also caution for those of you, even in certain situations where you want them to not sign people, you want the young guys to come up and start a new window, et cetera, et cetera. You want to know how we end up back where we've been the last few years. You put all your eggs into the basket of 19 and 20 year olds. And if a couple of them don't work out, good luck to everybody because you've sunk the whole thing into it. You have to, as you just, you pointed out a few minutes ago, Brendan, like you don't have everybody on this team signed for eight years. You have a couple of them for two or three or four more years. Like treat this window seriously. And I promise I'm sure of it. You can come back to this video. If I'm wrong, I'm, I promise if they have so many good players, they will find a way to make it work. And that would be a wonderful world for all of us to live in that they have Bellinger under contract, maybe Matt Chapman under contract. They extend say a Suzuki. Owen Casey is the rookie of the year. Matt Shaw is right behind him. Where is everybody going to play? I can't wait. That sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful. Uh, Sign me up for that. One question I have for you before we sign off here, and this is probably a bad time to ask this question, but I'm going to do it anyway. Great. Uh, Chapman and Bellinger, the first question is, do you think it's a possibility they sign both? And two, if it's not realistic in your eyes, who personally would you rather have? Well, I know like when you look at some of the projections, I know that they tend to be kind of close or closer than I think people might expect. So they laid out. Bellinger for 2024, his war projection is about 2.5. For Chapman, it's 2.7. I'm taking Bellinger. Um, I want the left-handed power. I believe in the changes that he made. I like the athlete that he is. Uh, You know, obviously, they're both good defenders, but I'm taking Bellinger. So you're taking Um, Bellinger seven years, 180? Yeah, I'm taking Bellinger. Chapman, three, four years for 20 million per year? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Possibility they sign both only if it falls into Jed's lap. Yeah. I think, you know, again, like to me, uh, if, if and I think the order matters, like if Bellinger were to go elsewhere, of course, that increases the odds of Chapman. If Bellinger comes to Chicago first and they get that done, you know, of course, the order of things matters in, in these decisions. Uh, but I think, you know, look, if you end up in a situation where Chapman is perhaps considering a market like Stroman was a few years ago, and they're open to certain deals with options and things like that. Yeah. I I think Jed is interested. Uh, unfortunately, as we've discussed the, the front office being interested at a lot of guys, if they can get a bargain bin deal on them it's a risky strategy and often you might find someone who is willing to shop outside of the bargain bin for those guys. So you don't get that. That doesn't ever happen. It's a nice thought. I'm sure Jed would love to sign everybody on a one-year deal 
for whatever annual value yeah. or and things like that with an option or but you can't do that so i i think the 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 odds that they sign both probably increase as the off season goes on but uh, one of them and likely it would be chapman would have to be sorely mistaken on what they were hoping to initially get in this market for that to happen i think okay I think it's the other way around. I think I think that Chapman's contract of three to four years between between twenty to twenty-five million is going to happen versus Bellinger. I think the range is wider. I think it could be a three-year deal, heaven have heavily weighed with incentives and, and opt-outs, or it could be a seven-year deal between twenty-five to thirty plus million. I think it's possible. The market shapes out in a way that Boris and and, and Bellinger may take a three-year deal, 30, 35 million, opt out after three. That's how I think he falls into the cups. And I have a hard time. This is a whole new tangent, but but you know, whatever it is, what it is. I have a hard time in my mind thinking like Jed that he would give 170 to 200 million. Let's call it 170 over seven years to Cody Bellinger, despite the great year he had in 2023, because Jed has shown a risk aversion. And the reality is that Bellinger in 2022 had a Woba of 280. The previous year was 235, the worst in baseball. The reality is those are two seasons that are part of the process. And I know that Jed values Bellinger. He likely thinks 2023 is more the realistic version of him, but projecting a Bellinger version of himself five, six years from now, 30 million per year, it almost appears that that is the least type of of player Jed would approach for that type of contract. So I would imagine that the likely outcome is, given the, the risk aversion uncertainty, the likely outcome is a high defensive base short-term contract with offensive potential in the form of Matt Chapman. I think Chapman is way more probable if you get your mind in the head of Jed Hoyer. Uh, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. Um, I don't know. I would like to sign both. We'll see. I would like to sign both. If that both. happens, I change my mind about a lot of things. Yeah. A lot I of things. I would like to sign Can both you imagine? Too. Can you imagine Chapman, Dansby, Nico, and Bellinger? PCA as, comes as up for the happen left. Oh previous my discussion. God. There's oh my God. I, I'm really sure there's plenty of room for everybody. I if Cody that's can play he, center field dude, sometimes oh while PCA God. is getting his legs under him. Dude, if that's the Bush infield, can DH, Bellinger can DH. If they that's, can switch off at first. If that's the infield, I'm getting emotional thinking about this. If that's the infield. Chapman and Bellinger on the corners, but if you get that, you get that infield, you put PCA man in center. So I guess, well, you know, maybe Bellinger's DHing in this situation. Bellinger's a great defender. So I'm not, you know, I guess if we're just going for defense, what do you put? Saya at DH? Sure. That's fine. Bellinger or PCA in right field, PCA in center, Bellinger in right field, whatever. Yeah. Then you teach the entire pitching staff to throw these splitters <laughs> and you just see if you can win a championship by never allowing any runs. I think it's a great idea. You know, 
that's you that's your uh bench coach experience that you had right in the dominican republic showing yeah. itself right there, there that's you your go. experience yeah but man that would be that would be unbelievable that infield i i, I need that in my life i need i need that at Saturday at 1.20 p.m., Fridays at 1.20 p.m., turn on the Cubs game. Those are your defenders. I, can't, I cannot imagine anything more beautiful than watching that defense. Honestly, I need it. Hey, I'm here for it. Uh, we will see what happens. As always, if news breaks, the CHGO Cubs team in some form or fashion will assemble live on the CHGO Sports YouTube page as quickly as possible. I've I've pointed out before, I think the Dansby deal, the Craig Council deal, the Shota Imanaga deal, I believe we were live within 10 minutes of all of those to break it down and, and have a discussion and get the live chat going. So if something does happen, we certainly hope that we would be your first choice for an emergency podcast, a live reaction. Uh, and of course you can find that at the CHGO sports YouTube page team will be back, uh, next week. So don't forget to turn tune in next week. Uh, Luke, Cody, Ryan back with you on Monday. We appreciate your support of CHGO and all things going on. We appreciate your support of the CHGO Cubs podcast. Brendan and I will talk to you next week, which by my math, Brendan, unless I am incorrect, it's going to be February when you and I next speak to our wonderful Did listeners. Did you count on your fingers to do that? I Well, I had to pull up a calendar because I don't I'm know just, what day. I'm just making sure with I, you. I, I, I legitimately don't know what day it is. So I, I thought it was. You know, but... you got issues. How have you survived this long? I really don't know. Vibes, Counting on your fingers. Don't know. don't know what day it is. You're all no, over the place. I don't really need to know what day it is. Half the time, I think I'm talking to like a squirrel. Your eyes are all over the place. In, uh, well, I mean, that. do you want to like diagnose me with like ADD on the air or? Maybe. I yeah. don't know. I don't want to judge, um, but just saying. Yeah. So Brendan and I, we'll be back with you in February, uh, next Friday. We appreciate your support as always. If you don't mind, if you're watching on YouTube, hit that thumbs up, the like button on your way out. If you're listening on your podcast feed, we appreciate those five stars and reviews wherever you get your podcasts. We will talk to you next week. And as always, go Cubs. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.